think 30% email open rates are great? Well, find out how 50% can become your new baseline with today's guest. Are you a leader trying to get more from your business and life? Me too. So join me as I document the conversations, stories, and advice to help you achieve what matters in your life. Welcome to Unbound with me, Chris Dubois. Ed Forteau is a self-proclaimed sales and marketing geek and has been since starting his first business cutting lawns in his neighborhood at 14 years old. He has been an early adopter in technology to improve his sales and marketing, leading to the launch of his company, Email Open Rate Optimization, and subsequently, Client Acquisition Actuarial Service. With both, he helps businesses leverage technology and data-driven strategies to deliver tremendous results in the form of revenue. Ed. Welcome to Unbound. Chris, thanks so much for having me on. What an introduction. I have to take you around everywhere I go. Yeah, I am happy. Uh, You can find my rates on the website. And uh, uh, we got to kick it off with a bang. Especially because I am excited to actually get into just everything. Like, I think by this point, any listeners know I do a pre-interview and like we chat and just like, I feel like I think our interview actually went long because we were just nerding out on some sales and marketing oh, yeah, stuff and talking through all of this couple sales um, nerds. And so I'm, yeah i'm super excited now to to pass this to our uh, to my audience here um let's start with uh with your origin story let's let's hear more about you sure uh you know what i i won't go back to birth or even my childhood <laughs> but i i will go back to when i was first uh, attracted to email i did a lot of direct mail and uh, back in, uh, I was just before 9-11, so it was quite a while ago, I was uh, selling a consulting service to real estate agents and real estate brokers. We were testing email because before that, we were using flyers that we'd send as flyer service that would send these flyers to the uh, real estate offices and people would see those and then they'd call and place an order. Uh, but then we, we got connected with email. So I had someone that was able to harvest emails. And then every morning at 10 o'clock, I sent a batch of emails out. Uh, Didn't have an uh, autoresponder back then. We were using a desktop application called Postmark. And it didn't do a lot of the Mm -hmm. things I wanted. I had to kind of retrofit the thing. So I'd send the emails out at 10. Uh, People would get the email. And back then, everybody opened email. It was was kind of a new thing. Uh, They'd get the email. They'd say, oh, this is something that I'm interested in. They reply to the email. The reply would then send an order form to them via email. They'd have to get that, open that email, print the email, fill out the form, go to the fax machine, fax the order back to me. A a system that would absolutely fail miserably now. But (laughs) I swear to you, by 1030, the fax machine would start running. I email at 10, 1030 orders are coming in on the fax machine. It was like printing money. It was the greatest thing ever. Uh, and from then on, I was hooked on email as a uh, prospecting and client attraction tool. And just the the concept of this, right? The number of steps and the actual physical requirements of like printing something off, filling it out, putting, faxing it. Like who, I mean, today it's like such a different beast. Like people, if a web page doesn't load within two seconds, people are bouncing. And it's just oh, like, yeah. Ah. 
Anyways, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> yeah, email now. We talk about having to earn the click. I mean, right. if you'd have gone back then and say, "Well, you have to really work hard to get somebody to click on your email," I go, "What? <laughs> Are they super lazy?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, things have changed. Yeah, no, it's just crazy how much a uh, time has time has already changed. Um, okay, I would love to dive into the concept of micro errors. I think this is just a fascinating concept that if leaders can grasp this, it's going to dramatically help their businesses. Uh, so can you, I guess, start by defining it and then we'll, we'll just dive in. Yeah, micro errors, and, and I'll mention another concept too, uh, but micro errors are the, the type of errors that you don't see or overlook in your business. I'll give you an example of um, what I would consider a micro error, and that's something that when we look at email, we may look at open rates and say, well, the average open rate is around 20 22%. Uh, and I have a lot of people that come to me that say, when I say, well, how's your open rates? And they'll go, oh, it's pretty good. We're at 25%. It's close to 22. Uh, then I'll say to them, are you happy with that? Well, yeah, we're better than average. Average? <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have any kids? Go, yeah. Pretty smart kids? Yeah. Okay. Right. A students? Yeah. Okay, what happened? What would happen if your kids came home with straight C's on the report card? That's average. Would you be happy with straight C's on the report card? No, no. <laughs> average is not good, and and that's a micro error that we can fix because it's a perception micro error. Right. Uh, the the problem with that micro error is the mailbox providers don't like C grades either, uh, and they actually yeah. penalize you. If you have an open rate under 30%, uh, and even that is not what is acceptable because all of my clients have open rates above 50%. Uh, it's very possible to get 70%, 80%, 95% open rates with open rate with click through rates of 40, 50, 60% or higher. And that's what you should be shooting for and not settle just because right. uh, you see things are average. So that's that's an example of one type of micro error. Uh, there are a lot of others that are hidden that we don't necessarily see yeah. right away, but uh, the things that we need to correct that make a really big difference in our end result. Yeah, that is. Uh, I mean, so let's let's get into some other examples here, because like that one. I like the idea of differentiating it right as a, a perceived or a perception micro error where it's because I'm, I'm sure a lot of founders fall into this, this challenge where they started the company, right? They don't necessarily know all of the marketing stuff. They don't know all of the sales stuff. And eventually they're going to have a team around them that they're experts in these crafts. Uh, but until then, until they get to that point, they're kind of relying on themselves and what they can learn and what they can experience. Uh, and so how, I guess, how can you, or what are some other examples of some of the micro errors you've seen uh, that leaders are running into? So they can just be more aware of like what sure. these are. Right, right. One of the other, so I, I said I mentioned a couple of different things. The second one is a simple question that you should ask yourself. And that's what are the things that I used to do in my business that worked that I'm no longer doing that I should be doing? And I just did a poll on LinkedIn with this and it, and it, 95% of people said, yes, there is something that I used to do that I don't do anymore that I know I should be doing. Uh, 
Uh, and I, and then the next question is, well, why not? Why aren't we doing those things? Uh, maybe it's shiny object syndrome. Uh, maybe we just got bored with it. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to see how people will switch to some novel thing or some brand new things, something that they've never tested. It's unproven. Uh, maybe somebody promised that would work real well. Mm. When you have things that you've already done that you go back to and do again and will produce the type of results that they used to. And that's a different type of micro error that's out there. But there's, there's others in your business, things that you're unaware of that you haven't seen that you need to fix. Right. So how do you, I guess, say I'm, I'm that founder, right? Who's, um, I guess I don't want to call it shiny object syndrome, but I'm, I'm onto a new thing. How do I know that I'm not following shiny object syndrome? Like this is, this might be the new thing that I actually have to follow for my business, right? Like I guess differentiating first I'm changing for the better or I'm just going off because I'm, dissatisfied with a previous version. I don't know if I'm saying that. That can be a tough one, but I I, I do have an answer for that. For example, uh, automation and AI could be shiny objects, Mm -hmm. uh, but they are necessary. If you are not keeping up with AI, for example, right now, uh, ignoring it or saying, oh, it's a fad or I'm not going to learn it or I don't don't like it, I'm fearful of what's going to happen, you'll quickly get left behind. AI moves so fast, it's it's very disruptive. And it it really has only become mainstream for about maybe seven, eight months now, but it has changed so much Mm -hmm. in that period. And you wait another three months and you're really behind. A, A good example would be, uh, voice uh, synthesis, uh, synthesizing your voice. Right. When I was looking at applications that did that, and this was just three months ago, uh, I was quoted prices as high as $2,000, $2,500 setup and $200, $300 a month. I can now get it done for under $100 a month. Uh, actually, I can test it for five dollars. There's an app where I could actually do it for free, and you, could, I could use these these apps uh, to save myself a tremendous amount of time when I'm doing uh, videos, um, uh, VSLs, and I'm doing the background audio. It may take me uh, an hour of getting through all the the verbal mistakes that I'm making to get through a five minute video. Well, I can just type the script up, uh, upload it. And it would be difficult for you to tell the difference between synthesized version of my voice and the real version of my voice. It's a a tremendous time saver. Right. And so being able to identify where you're actually going to see, see these improvements and then leaning into that rather than just, hoping that you're going to find something great. Right, right, right. You want to, you want to look at stuff in your business that you could uh, re- replace. Automation mm-hmm. is, a, is, is another great thing that you can do. I, I'll give you an example there. Uh, sure. Nowadays, I'll, I'll use email again. Uh, a lot of people just send email blasts out. And mm-hmm. uh, the problem with doing that, you may still get away with it now, but one of the problems that, that you have is first, the mailbox providers don't like that. They look at it as spam. And second, the users, the, your recipients are getting used to seeing emails that are relevant to them. So with AI and automation, with automation, you can tag people, you can begin to b- develop a profile about 
what they like, what they're interested in. You can use what I, what's called behavioral segmentation. Mm-hmm. And you can then craft emails that are, are really uh, of, of high interest to the people that are, that are getting it. And you can send the right email to the right person at the right time, highly relevant. Those emails get open. Now, compare that to someone who's not doing that, uh, and they're sending a general email. You're going to find that those emails not only aren't open, but those people are going to unsubscribe. They're going to mark your email as spam. You're not going to be able to do business if you're mm-hmm. not learning how to use automation in the right way, uh, as opposed to the wrong way would be just sending out as many emails as you possibly can. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's, uh, let's talk more about email, actually. It, uh, let's assume I'm a new client coming to you. What are, what are the first steps you're even taking like to just kind of analyze how I'm, my email performance is currently going and what direction you want to take it in order to actually get those open rates? Because I'm just going to, for, for anyone who's not trying, like if you're able to get 50% open rates and, and better on emails, like go no, all day talk long. to Ed. Go talk to Ed <laughs> right now. Like uh, If we're not getting, if a client of mine is not getting at least a 50% open rate, there's a problem. Uh, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm telling them that they're, we're not getting all our emails into the primary inbox if we're under 50%. If we're in the 60 to 70% range, uh, 80% range, then we are inboxing. And you can't just assume that you're going to get in the inbox. You're more likely to get in this, go into spam than you are in the primary inbox. Right. But if you are getting in the primary inbox, now we can get very accurate data as to how people are responding to our emails. We start segmenting mm-hmm. those emails uh, based on behavior, even based on personas. And now we have like different groups of emails. I'll give you, an, if you don't mind, if you'll indulge me in this. Sure. Uh, years ago, I did um, affiliate marketing. I was just yeah. kind of playing around with it. Yeah. So I had a small list and uh, I was always on the top 10 of the leaderboards. And even with my small list going against people that had massive lists of like 200,000 subscribers. And I would get asked all the time, well, how come you're always in the top 10? Well, the first thing I do when somebody joins my list, I I put them in different buckets. I'll Mm -hmm. ask them questions like, what type of products have you bought before? How much did you pay for those products? What products do you use? What products have you bought that you don't use anymore? Uh, what's the least you would pay, like an impulse buy for you? What would be the most that you would pay? Uh, and so I'd have all this information. And when a, uh, when a product would be launched, I looked to see, okay, who in my, which bucket would be most interested in this product? And out of 2,000 people, I might have 20 or I might have 50. And I only mailed to those people. And mm-hmm. that's what I really saw that, that what, if you could, you could use behavioral type targeting, uh, segmentation and targeting to really like right, hit the bullseye every time with your emails. I would have 90 plus percent open rates every single time because what I was talking to them about was relevant to them. It, when it was, okay. even though these were sales emails, a lot of times you send a sales email and you go, you get crickets like, oh, I'm not buying this. If it's information, mm-hmm. People open that open those all the time, but sales emails a lot harder to get get open and responded to. But if you are talking to them uh, specifically on what they want, what they like, and what they've purchased in the past, uh, you'd be amazed at how easily you can sell 
the email. And that's where I first learned it. And I've just taken that. That was over 10 years ago, like maybe 15 years ago. And I've just moved that forward to how we do business now. And so I look at everyone's, uh, the, the way they approach email, and we start crafting things based on my experience with uh, behavioral segmentation. And now we can add on personas uh, developed by AI. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing how well email works. Right. Even today. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. You got me thinking of a couple things. I think it was Dan Kennedy who had said, you should be able to earn like a dollar per month from each member of your list. So the bigger your list size, right. Should hit a dollar. I feel like with your method, it's almost a guaranteed hitting, even if you're only sending that email to 50 people, you know, in your list of a thousand, but all 50 buy because it's so targeted. It's like, yeah, you're just crushing it. Like that's why waste email sends people who aren't a fit. For sure. For sure. So you're just harassing them at that point. Yeah. No Um, no question. So let's talk um, just like lead generation, I guess, around, around building your list. is that what are, I guess, some, some of the common approaches you're taking just to, to even get people excited to be on there? Because I feel like you're going to be very good at maintaining people on your list. Like it, it's one that won't often get a have unsubscribes. But like, you're, what you're, are you doing to generate? Well, you're, you're right. If you're, if you're being relevant with your emails, you, you won't have a high unsubscribe, right? People will stick with mm-hmm. you for years. Uh, I'm focused more on B2B, although we can, there's yep. different B2C techniques that we could use, but let's, let's start there. Um, the first thing that I'm looking for is interest. So uh, I will go out and there's different ways to do it. Let's, we'll use LinkedIn as an example of, of identifying interest. So if I'm looking for people for email marketing, uh, I will look at LinkedIn events. I might look at LinkedIn groups that talk about email marketing. I may look at LinkedIn classes that talk about email marketing. Uh, there is a filter with Sales Navigator Advance for buyer intent. So I can look mm-hmm. for people that have uh, looked for buyer buying a- uh, email apps or email verification apps. If they have those two, that indicates to me that they're looking to do code email outreach. So now what I do is I'll reach out to those people. Uh, mm-hmm. If if I may, and this may ex- this explanation may take a couple of minutes. I don't know if I want to take that yeah. much time. No, let's go. Okay, this is probably great. Uh, it's something I call content ampl- amplification. And I have an interactive brief. Uh, If someone goes to my profile, they can just pick it up on my my, uh, feature uh, section of my profile on LinkedIn for free. And it goes into it in more depth. But this is how it works. So first, I identify people that have an interest. If somebody doesn't have an interest, it doesn't matter. It's it, Don't add them to your list. Uh, I keep mm-hmm. in mind that uh, according to Chet Holmes, that only 10% of people mm-hmm. are in market at any given time. So 90% aren't interested in buying. 10% are. 3% are in market, meaning they're, they're ready to buy right now. Either either have done research or there's been some trigger event that's happened where interest has now moved over to need and they have to take some action. One of the problems that I have with people, especially in B2B and LinkedIn, is they're reaching out to everyone, regardless of interest, and they're asking for a 15-minute appointment. You probably have had that happen if you're on LinkedIn. A lot. People connect. (laughs) 
hey, let's meet for 15 minutes. It, yeah. The most annoying thing. Yeah. I've Heaven forbid. Seen. If you put CEO or founder in your title anywhere, oh you will be God. found. They will find you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I took it off of the top of my title, but they still find it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it, it really, it really, it's one of my pet peeves. I, I do not have 15 minutes to spend with someone that I do not know. And I certainly right. don't have 15 minutes to subject myself to a sales presentation masked in something like, oh, let's collaborate or like mm-hmm. share ideas, something that's fairly insincere. So this is what we do instead. I look for people who are active on LinkedIn. So A, they're interested in email marketing. B, they're active on LinkedIn. Active to me is they're posting. They're posting articles. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're putting up uh, posts of videos or whatever. Uh, and then number two, they're not getting much traction. And, and that's important because you don't want to go through putting together a post and then hardly anyone likes it. Right. Uh, but number three, when somebody does engage with their post, they reply. So somebody comments, they reply, they comment, reply. Mm-hmm. I can see that when they're posting, if I were to go on their post and comment on their post, more than likely they're going to reply to that comment. So that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I ask a question at the bottom of that, 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 the comment that I leave and I wait for them to reply back to me. Most of the time they do. Then I have a conversation, a public conversation with them. Let's say, Chris, you were posting and I commented on your post and I left a question that draw you, drew you in. It's related to the post, mm-hmm. not by my stuff. And you right. reply to that, that um, uh, comment. And now we're having this public conversation going back and forth. Uh, that may happen two or three times. And then I'll ask to connect with you. And you're, more than likely, you're going to accept the connection request. And I'm going to carry the conversation that we had on your post now to DM. Uh, and at some right. point, I'm going to ask you uh, an obvious question, which is, yeah, I see you're posting a lot. Uh, I've enjoyed your content. Uh, I'm curious, why do you think, hey, this may be embarrassing, but why do you think you're not getting as much engagement is I think you should. I think you should probably, you mm-hmm. probably feel the same way. You'll answer that question. Next thing I'll say mm-hmm. is, would you be open to supporting each other's content? I, whenever I see your content, I'm already doing this, but whenever I see your content, I, I promise I'll engage with it. And whenever you see my content, you would engage with my content. Would you be open to doing that? Like, would you be open to doing it? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Most people, almost right. everybody says just that. So now what happens is I've got you coming on to my, a, my uh, profile. You're taking a look at that. See what I do. Uh, you're commenting on my posts and just like almost everybody's posts, uh, I have people that are commenting and they're saying three things that are influencing you before you even do your first comment. They're saying nice things about me. They're saying that I'm smart. Uh, they're saying I'm really good at what I do. And then they're asking me questions so that I can look smart. And so I, I, I look right. like the professional and the expert, ideally the expert that I am. And you're now influenced to have a similar comment about me, say nice things. I'm already saying nice things about you on your post. So you're just kind of reciprocating. Now I wait because in my world, Everybody that has email eventually has an email problem or an email question, uh, or mm-hmm. it may come up from a post that I write, but I'm waiting for a trigger event 
where interest, which I've already determined, becomes need. And I don't have to do any selling at all. I've let everybody else do the selling for me. And eventually you come to me with uh, a question for help. And it works every time. Right. So you're leaning on the social proof aspect. Absolutely. In Absolutely. Order to, in order to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I did sales training Love for that. 12 years. I can tell you mm-hmm. it is way easier to make a friend than it is to make a sale. So my philosophy yeah. is make friends, talk shop, do business. And if I follow right. those three steps, everything's all good, man. Hmm. And I'm sure once you... Once you make one friend, it's much easier to get introduced to make other friends. Oh, so. very easy. Very easy. <laughs> I, I love to have content amplification partners because something always positive comes out of it. Either I get a client or at the very least, I have somebody that is saying nice things about me on my posts. And even if they quit, right. I've already established myself as an expert in what I do. So mm-hmm. when they do have a problem, I'm the first person that comes to mind. Well, and even just getting that virality. Right. Where if, if I just engage with your post, my audience now sees it. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So the, the spread just becomes exponential at some point. Yeah, that's that's a bonus. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, OK, you were talking, uh, I think I think this was with your affiliate marketing days. Yep. Uh, just being able to ask a bunch of questions and stuff to learn more about the person yep. ahead of time. So if we're getting into behavioral segmentation yep. and what are you primarily doing this through polls? Uh, you know, just getting feedback from them, or are you looking for other bits like interactivity on on websites or you know just other actions? How are you kind of what are you using? I guess two segments. Yep, yep. Your behavior. It can. It can. I try to use as least amount of friction as possible. So what I'll do is I'll map out a, a strategy in my posts uh, to segment people as we go along. So you have your welcome sequence, and then I have another longer sequence that people go through. And that sequence is designed specifically to identify, uh, which buckets to put people in. So we're just tagging Mm -hmm. people along the way. They open, everything's a binary action. You open the email, you don't open the email. That's, that tells me something. And, and so I can mm-hmm. put a tag on you because you opened up the email. Uh, you click on it or you uh, on a link or you don't. That tells me something. If each time you click, it's to go to a video or a blog post or it, it, something on another site, that tells me, that indicates some level of interest in that particular topic. Right. But I've thought ahead, like, if somebody's buying this product, and I use AI to help me with this. If someone's buying this product, mm-hmm. what interests would they have that would that would correlate with buying this product? And as you're clicking each one, you're telling me which bucket to put you in and what products you'd have interest in. And you're also telling me like how to sell you on buying this product. So you're, you're giving me all the information that I need. And then all I need to do is write the email to you and that group of people that, that, that you've helped me to, to form and send that to you. And we get high open rates. I, we do this in a, mm-hmm. sometimes a two-step where the first email is to determine whether you have interest in something. And then the second email might be to uh, send you to a booking link or a sales page. Uh, we've done this with small lists of uh, 500. We've done it with big lists of over 2 million. The, the, the stats are always the same. 
you're going to get an open rate somewhere between 80, I'm sorry, 70 to 95%. You're going to get a click-through rate anywhere from 30 to 70%. And it's consistent. It doesn't matter how big the list is. But that's the power of behavioral segmentation. Right. Get it to the right people at the right time. The exactly. Right exactly. Awesome. Man. Um, I want to jump back to micro errors if we sure. can. Um, so we had talked in a, in our pre-interview, just some of the ways that we can kind of train ourselves to better spot micro errors as leaders, um, or even just to help with becoming more detail oriented. Um, what, uh, what, what ways do you use this, uh, in your own life or your own business to just ensure you're, you're looking at everything? Well, I'll, I'll go back first, and because uh, we're all guilty of this, and that is looking at the things that have worked that I haven't been doing lately that I need to do. So then I'll go back and put those things mm. back in place. I'm looking at my time and how I'm spending it. Uh, I'm looking at how to be more efficient. Uh, if you're a solopreneur, it is very difficult to run operations and do sales. You you really can't do both. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of pick which one you're going to do. And you can't get so caught up in doing both where you're, you're prospecting, which you need to do. Uh, it needs to be consistent. You just can't stop because you get a client. Because what ends up happening is you, you prospect, you get a client, you stop prospecting. The clients, when the client leaves, you've got to now start the whole cycle all over again. And your income mm -hmm. kind of goes up and down based on that. Uh, one of the things you have to be willing to do is hire other people. Now with AI, what you should be looking to do is look at, what can I use AI for to supplement work? Uh, you're you're a bit young to to know this, but uh, the artist Prince, um, uh, when he started out, he did concerts by himself. He he would he would play all the instruments by himself. He'd sit in the center. There'd be a keyboard and some other things around him. You could hardly see the guy, and he was singing and playing instruments. Uh, then he finally then he got a band and. Uh, he might have had a band before that, but it might have been just a period of time when he was doing everything. With AI now, uh, you the AI can do a lot of the work where you, you only need mm -hmm. one or two people along with AI and automation to do the work of 10 people, 20 people. And you should be right. thinking as a leader is how do I leverage myself to do this? And you have to start thinking about it now. Not uh, six months from now. Six months from now, things are going to be a lot different than they are right now. And so you have to start mm -hmm. thinking about putting those things in place today. Uh, and, and, we, and we work with clients to help them do that, to identify areas where AI could be used to uh, increase your productivity. Right. Yeah, it's awesome because you could do more with fewer people or you can do even more with the same people. Right. Like just by training them on how to use AI. It's like now everyone is exponentially more, oh, more yeah. productive. Um, yeah. I, I know guys that have had uh, staffs of 50 to 100 people. They're down to under 10 mm -hmm. right now. So they've got their 10 best people and they're way more productive now than they were when they had a staff right. that was five times, almost mm -hmm. 10 times bigger than it, even bigger than that. 
than they have now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, primarily two ways of thinking about it, right? You can cost savings and you know, keep the best people so we can make sure this is going up or figure out how can we actually create like an onboarding process for AI so that everyone is coming in and getting leveled up to the point where they're dangerous within the, in their field now. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. The little guy can now compete yeah. with with larger companies. Right. It, it really has. If you if you understand how to use AI properly and automation, you can mm -hmm. compete with pretty much anybody right. now in in a way that we couldn't before. Yeah. It, it is. It's leveled the playing field. Yeah. Technology is the great equalizer. Absolutely. Uh, and this has been an an awesome conversation. Um, I want to go through uh, the last three questions here which are uh, first, what book do you think everyone should give a read to? Uh, my favorite book, I'll show that. There we go. It is Flip the Script by Oren Claff. Uh, not only have I, you can see my bookmark there actually too. Uh, I've probably read this book five times, but I go on a five mile walk every day and I listen to this book maybe a hundred times. I, I practically memorized yeah. the book. It is life changing, especially in in the way that we can and should be pursuing sales in the future. Man, I, I know you have a background in sales because you just the way you just pitched that book to me. <laughs> um, I'm gonna grab a copy right after this. Uh, next, what is next for you professionally? Sure. Um, I am going, I'm doing a series on, uh, based on 50, 152 ways to profit from any email list. Uh, I'm teaching people how to find basically hidden money, found hmm. money in their business, found money in their email list. I, it, it reminds me of when I was a kid where you you find a quarter on the ground and it was almost better than Christmas. You take that quarter, you go buy some candy with it. Everybody loves found money. Everybody loves found yeah. money. So uh, what we're doing is we're showing people how to get big wins right away with their email list. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, I think it's it, the ongoing LinkedIn event. If you go to my LinkedIn page, you can see it there. If you reach out to me on LinkedIn, you can see it there. Uh, the easiest way to get to my LinkedIn page instead of trying to figure out how to spell my name is to go to everybodylovesfoundmoney.com. So not only do I like the phrase, I actually bought the domain. Uh, and you can go there. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can get the content amplification interactive brief that I mentioned earlier to there. And then you can also sign up for uh, any of the LinkedIn events I'm doing. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, I guess besides going to everybody loves foundmoney.com, where else can everyone find you, connect with you? Uh, you can, well, that'll take you to my LinkedIn page, which is probably the best place to go to. Uh, edforto.com is my, one of my websites. Email open rate, email open rate optimization is another. Uh, but feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Send me a connection request. I'd be more than happy to have a conversation yeah. with you. Awesome. We can just talk business. Not, I'm yeah. sorry, talk shop. Uh, <laughs> and then maybe talk some business. Right. And uh, at least become a friend in the process. So. Absolutely. So awesome. Ed, thank you for joining me. Uh, this has been an awesome episode. I'm excited. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it, man. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And for more information on how to build effective and efficient teams through your leadership, visit leadingforeffect.com. As always, deserve it.